0: Bogjargal by Victor Hugo, chapter thirty-eight. Biasu seemed in a reverie. When the review was concluded, his last orders had been given, and the insurgents had retired to the huts, he condescended to address me again. Young man, said he, you have now had the means of judging of my power and genius. The time has now arrived for you to take an account of it to Laogri. "'It is not my fault that he has not had it earlier,' answered I, coldly. "'You are right,' replied Biasu. "'He then paused, as if to note what the effect would be upon me "'of what he was going to say, and then added, "'But it will depend upon yourself whether he gets it or not.' "'What do you mean?' exclaimed I, in astonishment. "'Yes,' replied Biasu, "'that your life depends upon yourself,' and that you can save it if you will. This sudden paroxysm of pity, the first, and no doubt the last, which had ever possessed Biasu, surprised me much. The Obi, surprised as much as I, was seated on the steps where he had so long kept his position after the manner of the Hindu faker. He placed himself face to face with the general, addressing him in angry tones. "'What are you saying, excellent general?' Have you forgotten your promise? Neither God nor you can dispose of this life, for it belongs to me. At that instant, with this irritated accent, I thought that I recognized the little man. But it was but a fleeting recollection, and in a moment it had passed away. Biesu got up from his seat without betraying any anger, spoke for a few moments in whispers to the obi, and pointed to the black flag which I had already remarked and after a little more conversation, the sorcerer nodded in sign of assent. Both of them then went back to their former positions. Listen to me, said the general, drawing from his pocket the other dispatch from Jean-Francois. Things are going ill. Buckman has been killed in battle. The whites have slaughtered more than 2,000 blacks in the district of Cul-de-sac. The colonists are continuing to establish and to fortify military posts by our own folly we lost the chance of taking cap and it will be long before another occasion will present itself the eastern side of our line of march is cut by a river and the whites have defended the passage by a pontoon battery and a fortified camp on the south side they have planted artillery on the mountainous road called odu cap they have defended it by troops of artillery the position is defended by a strong stockade at which all the inhabitants have labored, and in front of it are strong chevaux de frise. Cap, therefore, is beyond our reach. Our ambush in the ravines of Dante moulat was a failure. To add to all these misfortunes, the Siamese fever, which depopulated Jean-Francois's army, has devastated our camps. In consequence, the Grand Admiral of France thinks, and we agree with him, that we should treat with the Governor Blanchelande and the Colonial Assembly. Here is the letter that we have addressed to the Assembly on this matter. Listen. Gentlemen of the House of Deputies, In the great misfortunes which have afflicted this great and important colony, we have also been enveloped, and there remains nothing for us to say in justification of our conduct. One day you will render us the justice that our conduct merits. We ought to be included in the general pardon that King Louis XVI has proclaimed for all. Accordingly, as the King of Spain is a good king who treats us well and has testified it to us by rewards, we shall continue to serve him with zeal and devotion. We see by the law of September 28, 1791, that the National Assembly and the King have agreed to definitely settle the status of slaves and the political situation of people of color. We will defend the decrees of the National Assembly, invested with the requisite formalities, with the last drop of our blood. It would likewise be most interesting to us if you would declare, by an order sanctioned by your General, that it is your intention to investigate the condition of the slaves. Knowing that they are the objects of your solicitude, we, the Chiefs, feel sure they will be satisfied, and in a short time, peace will be restored." do not count, gentlemen deputies, upon our consenting to take up arms for the Revolutionary Assemblies. We are the subjects of three kings—the King of Congo, the born master of all the blacks, the King of France, who represents our fathers, and the King of Spain, who represents our mothers. These three kings are descendants of those who, conducted by a star, worshipped the man of God. If we serve the Assemblies— We might be forced to take up arms and to make war against our brothers, the subjects of those three kings to whom we have sworn fidelity. And besides, we do not know what is meant by the will of the nation, seeing that the people rule, we have not executed that of the king. The prince of France loves us, the king of Spain never ceases to help us. We aid them, they aid us. It is the cause of humanity. And besides, if these kings should fail us, we could soon enthrone a king. Such are our intentions. Nevertheless, we now consent to make peace. Signed, Jean-Francois, General. Biassu, Brigadier. Desprez, Manzot, Toussaint, Aubert, Commissaires. Ad hoc. It seems that this ridiculously characteristic letter was really sent to the Assembly. You see, said Biassu, after he had read this piece of Negro diplomacy, every word of which has remained imprinted on my memory. You see that our intentions are peaceable. This is what we want you to do. Neither Jean-Francois nor I have been brought up in the schools of the whites, or learned the niceties of their language. We know how to fight, but not how to write. Now, we do not wish that there should be anything in our letter to the assembly at which our former masters could laugh. You seem to have learned those frivolous accomplishments in which we are lacking. Correct any faults you may find in this dispatch, so that it may excite no derision amongst the whites, and at this price I will give you your life. This proposition of becoming the corrector of Biasu's faults of spelling and composition was too repugnant to my pride for me to hesitate a moment. And besides, what did I care for life? I declined his offer. He appeared surprised. "'What?' exclaimed he. "'You preferred death to scrawling a few marks with a pen on a piece of parchment.' "'Yes,' replied I. My determination seemed to embarrass him. After a few moments of thought, he again addressed me. "'Listen, young fool. I am less obstinate than you are. I give you until tomorrow evening, up to the setting of the sun, when you shall again be brought before me.' Think well, then, before you refuse to obey my wishes. Adieu. Let night bring reflection to you. Remember, with us, death is not simply death. The sense of the last words, accompanied by a frightful grin, was not equivocal, and the awful tortures which it was Biasu's greatest pleasure to inflict upon his prisoners came to my mind. Condi, continued Biasu, remove the prisoner, and give him in charge to the men of Morn Rouge. I wish him to live another day, and perhaps my other soldiers would not have the patience to let him do so. The mulatto condi, who commanded the guard, caused my arms to be bound behind my back. A soldier took hold of the end of the cord, and we left the grotto.